We're so glad you're here to listen to this week's sermon from Park Street Church. Park Street is a historic congregation located in the heart of Boston. But more than that, we're a community of people from all different backgrounds who believe and are united by the good news that Jesus is Lord. Visit us at parkstreet.org to learn about our community. The word repentance has a sort of bad connotation, kind of a bad rap in the culture. Uh, go try tell your children, can you please repent? Or go try tell your wife, please repent, and see where that takes you, or your friends. So the, the word itself is kind of fallen into disrepute. And yet at the same time, when you read the Gospels, as the reading from Matthew 4 was, it has a fundamental place in the story of the gospel, in what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Jesus himself, we like to say, well, John the Baptist says, go turn and burn and repent. In chapter 3 of Matthew, the fiery prophet, but then Jesus follows right in line, repent. But then he adds this urgency, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an urgency to that call. There's an urgency to that gospel. And as we consider the gospel today, the book of Hosea is just the perfect place to pause and define what repentance actually is and actually also what repentance is not. Some of you may remember Hosea is a prophet you blink and you miss it in the Bible, uh, like all these minor prophets. And he is called to marry a wayward wife with a fleeting love, someone that comes and goes, sort of. And you can read it, and there's some powerful moments in the entire story of Gomer, that wayward wife, and Hosea. And so first there is the infatuation, right? So what repentance is not? We start like that. The infatuation of her heart. Her heart goes like the dew of the morning. For those of, you, of us who have lived in the Middle East, spent time in the Middle East, you know, there is dew in the morning, but it just goes so fast. Or you'll see a bright, clear sky, and there is one cloud, and then it's gone. That's the imagery that actually Hosea uses. The, your love is fleeting. And of course, Gomer is a representation of the love of God's people. And this is no history lessons in the ninth century BC. This is, takes us right into today. And the fleet, the, 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 the sort of fleeting love that we have for God. And it's sort of, okay, here today, gone tomorrow. Infatuation. Very fickle. And then the second image that Hosea uses is an image that comes from husbandry, animal husbandry. Goats and sheep and beasts of burden. And they're stiff-necked. And stiff-necked like a heifer, and I'm not sure anybody even knows what a heifer is. So I'm going to use another animal that lives in our house. His name 
is Bruno. He's a dachshund. And I'm told that dachshunds uh, actually have a high IQ, uh, but it's hampered by the stubbornness. And, and so whenever you want to lead this dog somewhere, he'll stiffen his neck. That's exactly the image of he's not going to go where you want him to go. The only way, and that's the third part, right, infatuation, stiff neck, the manipulating and calculating nature of this little dog is unbelievable. He looked at me in the woods. We live in the woods in Sudbury, Mass. Uh, and he looked at me, it's time to come in, and no way, I'm not coming in. But if you say, doggy treat, he'll run. His heart is not with me. <laughs> His heart is with my wife, Donna. I mean, when I come down the stairs, he stays under the covers. When she comes down, he jumps out, wags his tail. I'm still going to therapy about this one. <laughs> but what a perfect image. Uh, Gomer in chapter 2 and verse 7, I've gone, I, I've run my, I can't find lovers anymore, so I guess I'll just settle back in with you. That's fake repentance, friends. That's not a, a return to the Lord from the heart. Because that's what repentance is in Hosea, right? It's a, a return. It's a physical coming back to him. It's all the same words. I have Hebrew professors in the house, so I've got to be very careful what I do with the Hebrew here. But it is a return to God. And... Hosea 6, 1 through 6 is just one moment in the whole book that captures actually what true repentance is. And you have to go to verse 6 to figure this one out. And I'm going to read it again just for us. Chapter 6 and verse 6. I desire or I delight in steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. If this captures repentance, this is the moment. Because it is about capturing the heart of God, returning to Him because of His heart for you. Because of His steadfast love towards you. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, and I'm assuming most of you have, or maybe not, you have to understand steadfast love in the Old Testament is kind of a big deal. You know, you read Psalm 136 and boom, boom, boom. His, Give thanks to the Lord, He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then by the fifth time, you're falling asleep. Okay, we got it already, right? His steadfast, so steadfast love is a very important term. And it's this sort of loyalty, this kindness of God, His love for His people. And this was not lost on Jesus, because in the Gospel of Matthew, about true repentance, that has to do with steadfast love, loving and how God delights in steadfast love. But in the New Testament, this word, steadfast love, becomes translated as mercy, most times. 
the mercy of God. And Jesus lectures the Pharisees twice in chapter 9 of Matthew and chapter 12. And he's telling them, you know nothing about steadfast love mercy because you condemn the guiltless and you don't understand that I have called not the righteous but sinners. But the heart of repentance is a heart of mercy. At the heart of true repentance is the mercy, steadfast love of God. And you know how that steadfast love endures forever. It just overlooks everything. It just grabs you and it persists with you. So the mercy of God becomes, if you will, the litmus test of whether you really have a repentant heart. Um, so we have commuter cars in our house. And because I'm not commuting, I get the 20-year-old car, right? And so I treat it like a 20-year-old car. And my wife is convinced I'm completely, entirely stiff-necked on the cleanliness of my car. And I, I freely confess, yeah, I'm not going to clean this 20-year-old car because you got the newer car. And so we all know in the heart of hearts where we carry that stiff-neckedness. And today, the message is this. If you have received mercy, you're on your journey to repentance, true repentance, to change your heart. And so you become merciful yourself. And then you, in turn, can extend mercy to others. Let's see how this works out this week in family units with your spouse, with your friends. But that's the, the test of genuine repentance, that you, you delight in mercy, steadfast love, the way God delights in extending mercy, steadfast love, and then you're able to extend it to others. 1949, the Hebrides in Scotland, the two praying grandmothers, you know who you are. One is blind, she's 82, the other is 84, or vice versa. And they're appalled at the parish, Presbyterian parish, no kids, no youth come to church. No, no, there is very little activity, but they pray. And then one evening, 100 young people are in the parish hall because at the time, the parish hall is a community center, and they're all dancing. Then all of a sudden, the music stops, and everybody runs for the door as if there is a plague. That's the account from Duncan Campbell. And everybody runs to the door, and they just want to go to church. And you fast forward a few hours later, you've got people who were in their bed. They get up, get clothes, we got to go to church. There was no 
social media campaign. There was nothing, no advertising. People just li literally returned to God. I don't know if this has worked with you, but in your family. Uh, and this is a very American thing to do, right? Give me a 10-point plan, and I'm going to follow it, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. You go tell that to your kids. I give you a five-step plan to clean your room, or you, would you try to create change in people? What actually works? And Duncan Campbell is very clear to say, I had nothing to do with this revival because that's what it was. It was all there before I came. So this heart of mercy, this true repentant heart, is an act of God in our hearts. And, and so I got an excuse for you all who are recalcitrant like me with cleaning my 20-year-old Volvo. Well, God hasn't changed my heart yet. I don't advise you do this because ultimately it is your responsibility too. God does the stirring, but you have to respond to that. That's why repentance is a return. It's an action back to God. So back to this church in Scotland by, you know, the meeting ended at 4 a.m. And it was like 800 people as they were able to count. But I want to single out one young lady. She's 20 years old. She's a grammar school teacher. And I think she exhibits exactly what Hosea is conveying to us about a true repentant heart. Because she's crying out to God and she says this, God, is there mercy for me? God, is there mercy for me? She has come to this place of realizing that Unless God intervenes, she's going to feel the wrath of God in her life. That's why the gospel of repentance doesn't work today in that, what I call the postmodern journey of faith on the road to nowhere. Let me repeat this. See, the gospel of repentance doesn't fit into the culture today of this journey of faith on the road to nowhere where no decision, no change is required. God loves you. Just be, come as you are. Great song, Billy Graham. There's a picture down there. He preached here, right? Come as you are, just as I am. I come. Great. But then what happens after that? to stay the way you are because thank you very much. That's my identity that I'm good. I'm feeling all right as the song goes. That's not the gospel. God requires us to change and the litmus test of this change is that your heart becomes a heart of mercy. I desire, I delight in mercy, steadfast love. It is like the tax collector in Luke 18. I'm going to just throw in this illustration because it's so powerful. He's not in the sanctuary. He's in the back, maybe even on the street, because he knows that he is in desperate need 
of God's mercy. Are you in desperate need of God's mercy today? I mean, you really need to ask that question. Are you feeling the heat, the desperation? You know, my way of describing the Beatitudes, blessed are the desperates, desperates for the hunger for righteousness, desperates for, for Jesus, because they know they don't measure up. So that parable of the tax collector, he's beating up his chest in the back of the sanctuary. He didn't come forward front row. And by the way, there's nothing with you people being front row, right? Just want to say that. But he's in the back, and what does he say? God, just like that young lady, be merciful to me, a sinner. I wonder what kind of repentance you and I have been trafficking in as I approach 60 years of age. I, I can go through the motion of that fake sort of repentance, but what I'm reading in Hosea is true repentance from the heart. Like Bruno, when mommy gets up and goes down the stairs, he's all excited. True repentance, deep awareness of the consequences. True repentance in verse 3 of chapter 6. Some other characteristics of true repentance. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. That knowledge of God which Gomer did not have, the people of Israel did not have, there's no knowledge of God in the land, Hosea says in chapter 2. And then he lists how they break the commandments. How they break most of the Ten Commandments. So there's a, a lack of knowledge of God's Word. But that knowledge of God's Word, going back now to verse 6 of chapter 6, has to do with steadfast love. Delighting in the steadfast love, in the character of God. Delighting in Him. Delighting in His mercy. And then you have true knowledge of God. Because God delights in steadfast love and in His knowledge. But knowledge of what? Knowledge of His character. Knowledge of His mercy. There's nothing wrong with knowing weights and measures in the Bible. We should know them. The detail, the minutia of the scripture. But if it is not framed within the context of mercy, steadfast love, then we're going to be lectured by Jesus the way the Pharisees were lectured. Don't you know? You should know. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When they're grumbling because somebody gets healed on the Sabbath. They missed it. I just recently retired from the seminary at Gordon-Conwell, uh, and thank God I don't have to grade papers anymore. <laughs> but if I were to grade the Pharisees, it's an F minus. I don't know if that exists on the scale, but I'd say F minus. And I wonder how many of us really have understood receiving mercy and extending it to others because you know, if you can't, if you have that judgmental eye, like parsing everything, including, you know, how this, I don't even know what it's called, but is it straight? I hope it's straight. Right. What kind of a heart do we have? Hmm? 
In our therapeutic age, repentance has a bad name, and it shouldn't because look at what Hosea says in verse 2. What is the ultimate healing that we can aspire to? The ultimate healing is from death. And little prophet Hosea says, in three days, I will raise you up. Return to me, and in three days, I will raise you up. And lo and behold, the apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, picks this verse and says, Jesus Christ was raised according to the Scripture. So in our therapeutic age, you want healing? Embrace repentance from the heart because that's your gateway into eternal life. The diagnose, I'm always hesitant to speak of medical matters in the Boston area. Is there a doctor in the house? Please don't raise your hand. <laughs> We're all going to die unless Jesus returns in our lifetime. And so the ultimate healing is healing from death, and that's exactly what Hosea promises you and me if we embrace this gospel of repentance, love of mercy, kindness, steadfast love. Because that's the heart of God. All right, so are we done now? No, look at the disciples, that story of very well-known story of the disciples who drop everything, literally. They, they, they were cleaning the dishes. And again, don't try this at home this week, finish cleaning the dishes. Don't say, well, Jesus just called me to do something, finish the dishes. But in their case, they're being pulled away. They're returning, they're turning to Jesus and they're following him. But you see, and this is the struggle, really the struggle here, that repentance is not one and done. And as you go along in the years, you, you echo the cry of Paul, St. Paul, in Romans 7, when he says, I'm pulling my hair out, this struggle between the affections of my hearts. Read Romans 7. And I can't get over this. I'm no expert grammarian, but I understand the present tense. Because he says this, wretched man that I was, no, I am. So the struggle with the affections of the heart is a lifetime struggle. That's why that prayer from Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, is not a one-and-done thing. That the healing will come on the other side. So they immediately follow Jesus. They turn to him. But then they're looking at a lifetime. Ask Peter. They're looking at a lifetime of turning back to Jesus. And here's the charge, the real charge behind what I'm saying is this, don't quit on repentance. So yes, I am going to try to clean that Volvo this week. That's the application for me. Don't quit on repentance. Don't quit on receiving mercy 
out of desperation, I think we need to get a little more desperate, don't you think? We need a little more desperation in our lives. And really crying out for mercy based on our unworthiness. But that grief, and as we come to the communion table, we come to Reformation Sunday in a couple of days, that grief has to be replaced with joy. Just like David says, and David has his issues. I'm not going into it. He has his issues out of Psalm 51. So he says, create in me a clean heart. But then he says this, restore unto me what? The joy of what? Your salvation. And this restoring, would you believe it? It's a returning. It's the same word. Cause the joy of your salvation to return to me. That's what we pray every, every day and twice on Sunday. That's the life of a repentant heart. It's not one and done. It's an ongoing process. So steadfast love and mercy is the manifestation of your repentance. It's mercy revealed and it's mercy shown and mercy extended. And usually, in my experience, mercy extended is pretty much for those who don't deserve it. So I have the application for Donna this week. You need to extend mercy to me as I'm gearing myself up to clean that car for once. Steadfast love and mercy endures forever. Therefore, we don't quit on repentance. Why? Because, well, God doesn't quit on us. God never quits on us. He is pursuing us. Heavenly Father, I pray that these words... Your word of God, Lord, not my words, but your words, would go into our hearts. And where there is judgment, where there is entitlement, when there is stiff-neckedness, when there is pleading affections, uh, you would put that heart of mercy and that heart that desires to return to you. And we know that it is the work of your Holy Spirit. And then... There is the joy, the joy of your salvation, and ultimately the healing that will come, that has come in Christ and that is be, will be fulfilled when he returns. In Jesus' name, amen.